Okay, let's read from God's Word. This is Luke chapter 2, breaking into the story at verse 8, and we're going to read through to verse 20. This is God's Word. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And the ending at verse 20, the Lord will bless his truth to our hearts for Christ's sake. We ask it. Amen. Uh, a few Christmases ago, actually just about this time of year, I got a letter through the post from a fund manager of a Chinese bank. The letter informed me that someone called John Dickinson had recently died in China. He had left behind $15 million, and it appeared that I was the nearest living relative to this person, and that if I would just get in contact through the details given me in the letter, the $15 million, pounds could, $15 million could be transferred to me personally. Obviously, I binned the letter. I mean, it's not very believable, really, is it? So, and at that, was that time, there was loads of those scams about people getting these sorts of communications all the time. But it didn't really sound like a likely set of circumstances anyway. And actually, that must have been how the shepherds felt about the news they received from the angels that night. Like, seriously? Don't be afraid, the angel said. Look, I've got good news for you, news which will make everybody very happy. Today, a Savior has been born for you, the Messiah, the Lord, in David's town. That's what they heard. And to them, in their generation, at that moment of time, it must have seemed as believable as the letter I got from the Chinese bank fund manager. It was an announcement, yes, but not just an announcement, it was also a performance because there was a choir and music involved in the event. It must have been a little bit like I was in London last week and we went to see The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which by the way is only on till the 8th of January and if you are going to London, make sure you see it because it's incredible. But when you're sitting in the theater, well, okay, spoiler coming up now, okay. 
I've done this all my life. Spoiler coming up, so you want to close your ears at this point. But when you're sitting in the theater and the show is about to start, a guy comes out who looks like a stagehand and sits down at a piano, which is on the stage. And while everybody's talking and chatting and ignoring him and eating popcorn and all the rest of it, trying to find their seats in the theater, he's playing the piano. And you're thinking, is he there to tune it? Or what is he actually doing there? Because he doesn't look like he's dressed for the play or that he's an actor or anything. He just sits there and tinkles on the ivories, literally. And then the show starts, the lights go down, and he's still there. And you're thinking, nobody tell him the event is about to start. Maybe he needs to get off the stage. Turns out he's one of the actors. Turns out, in fact, all the actors in the show are actors, musicians, and stagehands. Because everything that happens, they all do. And all of a sudden, other actors appear, and they have instruments. Some have cellos with wheels attached to the bottom of them so that they can kind of wheel them around the stage while they play them. And you realize all of a sudden that actually this guy sitting at the piano is part of the performance. He's actually one of the members on the show. And it must have been a little bit like that that night. There is a, an angel who makes an announcement, and then it says, suddenly, with the angel, there was a crowd of the heavenly armies. They were praising God, saying glory to God in the highest, and peace upon earth among those in his favor. All of a sudden, an announcement, and then a performance. It must have been like being at a show. And believe me, the shepherds knew instantly what they had just witnessed. What they heard was as much to be feared as the shock of hearing angel choirs singing. Because if they heard correctly what they'd just been told, they couldn't really talk about it. In fact, the angels might have well have said, we've good news for you, but if we tell you what it is, we're going to have to kill you. Because what they heard was a royal proclamation rather like the one that took place when King Charles III was proclaimed king. Charles III, by the grace of God, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of his other realms and territories, king, head of the commonwealth, defender of the faith. That is the first of 14 titles which he has. And he was proclaimed king with those words. And what the shepherds heard that night was the proclamation of a royal accession to the throne. Proclamations made by the Roman Empire about the emperor usually involved music, fanfares, and choirs. Right now, at this moment of time in the story we're talking about, the emperor was Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor, actually. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He ruled from 31 BC until 14 AD. And in his world... They called him Lord. And the Roman coinage which bore his image celebrated his greatest gift to the world, which was peace. And that's exactly what was proclaimed by the angels about the child in Bethlehem. When the shepherds heard this, they knew what they just heard. Of course, most Jews didn't accept the Pax Romana. And they certainly didn't regard Caesar as Lord. They were looking to an anointed one, a Messiah. And at that time, there was an anointed one in Jerusalem, a king. His name was Herod the Great. There was a king 
in Rome. There was an anointed one in Jerusalem, but the announcement that the angels made that night made it clear that there was an heir to Caesar's throne, but he was not born in Rome. And there was an heir to Herod's throne, and he was not born in Jerusalem. Today in the town of David, in Bethlehem, the king has come. However unlikely it sounded, however bizarre and unusual and unbelievable it was, this was a royal proclamation. So why were shepherds hearing it? People despised shepherds. In fact, the story that we've just read, if it happened in the contemporary world in which we live in this part of the world is something like the angel Gabriel appearing to two bouncers at the door of a dodgy UDA club in Rathcool and telling them that the one true king has just been born in a garage in Doak. Basically, that's the same thing. Angels hear this proclamation. That's what it's like. Shepherds hear it. Nobody likes shepherds. And then the angel mentions something that shepherds were familiar with. The angel says, this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped up and lying in a feeding trough. These men in the fields around Bethlehem that night had never been in a palace. They had never seen a royal nursery, but they had seen a lot of feeding troughs in their time. And by and large, you didn't find kings in them. So what would they do? This unlikely situation, these unlikely recipients of a royal proclamation, this unlikely destination, Bethlehem, David's town, what should they do? We read, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the feeding trough. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. What did they do? They went to Bethlehem. And it turns out, that in Bethlehem, the one true king is born, just the way they heard. And this was a moment alive with hope in two ways. First of all, this was a moment that talked about hope for the hopeless. It wasn't unusual in the world of this day for rulers to be described as saviors, Nowadays, rulers are rarely described as saviors. Nowadays, it might be a footballer. One of them didn't really show up last night, but hey, that's the way it works. Saviors could be a footballer. Saviors might also be a drug company that come up with some new drug of some sort that uh, enables people to live with terrible diseases. It might be a generous stranger who shows up just at the right moment of time. I remember once Christine was out with a car and she had a flat tire and she had uh, a Renault at that particular point in time and it didn't have a spare wheel. It had uh, a pump thing that you had to connect the cigarette lighter to pump the tire back up again to get to the garage where you could get it fixed okay and she didn't have a clue what to do. It's my fault. I haven't really explained what she should do. If she got a puncture and... uh, She was stuck by the side of the road when Brendan from West Belfast drew up in a car and stopped. And uh, he got her sorted out. She came on to me and said, I met a saviour today. His name was Brendan from West Belfast. 
You know how that happens? A generous stranger who shows up when you really need somebody to do something for you. That's when you see strangers. The truth, however, is that everyone, everyone needs saving from something. Sometimes it can be from superficial problems or challenges in our lives. But we understand that it is also from something in the deepest recesses of our minds and hearts. Everyone, everyone needs a savior. Deborah Hirsch in her book, Redeeming Sex, tells the story of George, the drug dealer. George is one of her friends. George was also her drug dealer. And he went into prison for two weeks, not for selling drugs, but because he had so many unpaid parking fines. And when he was going into prison, he realized that he would need to have something to do in prison. So he took his mother's large Greek Orthodox family Bible with him into prison, one of those massive, big, huge family Bible things that that had listed all the family for about 10 generations further back. And he took this massive, big family Bible with him into prison. And during the fortnight that he was there, he read the Bible and he became a Christian. He gave his life to Christ. And uh, when his two-week term was up, his brother, John, came to collect him from prison to drive him home. And on the way home, George told John about what had happened to him. And before they got home, John had given his life to Jesus. And when they got home, because of what had happened to them, they decided to draw up a hit list. Not the kind of hit list a drug dealer might normally draw up. They decided to draw up a hit list. And in the next six months, 50 people off that hit list became Christians through their witness. And Deborah Hirsch was one of them. She was looking desperately for something before George came to faith. But she and her friends thought that what they were desperately looking for were the drugs that George had to sell. But then she says, when Jesus came into my life, everything changed. All those old cliches you hear, being lost and then found, being blind and then seeing, applied to me. I encountered God in such a dramatic way that I knew my life would never be the same. Everybody needs a savior. Everybody needs to know that someone can deal with the stuff that is wrong in their lives. And that's what this story is about. It provides hope because it talks about the fact that the person who was born in Bethlehem that day may have been of royal lineage, but he came to be a savior. God didn't do the incarnation because he could The incarnation was not an exhibition match. It was not God saying, hey, look what I can do. He did it for you. He did it all for you. The birth, the childhood, the years of early manhood, the public ministry, the death and resurrection. He did it all for you. Jesus was and is everything you've ever heard he was and is. The shepherds search for a stable and they find that it is just as they had been told. The one true king is born. Finally, there is someone to whom you can give all your allegiance. 
And as you do so, know that you will not be manipulated. You will not be betrayed. You will not be humiliated. There is hope for the hopeless, and that hope is Jesus. I don't know your situation. I cannot see your heart. But I know that every single person in this building today needs a Savior, whether you realize it or not. And I know that the proclamation that the angels brought that day to these shepherds in this most unlikely set of circumstances is hope for the hopeless. The things you thought could never be fixed about your life. The stuff you thought could never be put behind. All of that can be dealt with because in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, a Savior was born. There is hope for the hopeless. This could be a moment for you. You've been in Central for weeks, maybe months, or maybe this is the first time you ever came here. But in your heart, you know, you need God to do something in your life. And he made provision for that, and he can do it right now. There is hope for the hopeless. Second thing about the story is this. There is hope in the moment. The other point here is how this event happened. What we read about that the shepherds hear happens virtually without warning, without precedent, without possibility. The king comes I know how much we love the carol, Oh Holy Night. I was in Port Rush last night listening to David C. Clements. One of the songs they sang last night was Oh Holy Night, sung in his voice. It's amazing. And it is a beautiful carol. But you know what? At the point of time in which the sun set and night rushed in on Bethlehem, there was nothing special in the air that night. In the town, people slept On the ramparts, soldiers watched. On the hillsides, sheep grazed. Everything was as everything had been for as long as these shepherds could remember. And then, in a moment, without precedent and without warning, skies break, the announcement comes, the choir of the heavenly army sings, and everything is changed. And two seconds before it happened, everything was the way it had always been. And then in a moment, it was changed. We need to note this. Why? Because it is how the Lord tends to work. Things are different in our culture. In our culture, before stuff happens, we gather data. We analyze trends. We compute projections. We develop an algorithm to help people make informed decisions. The Lord, the Lord just acts. There is no great fanfare before it. No evident preparations going on. Bethlehem is Bethlehem as it has been for generations. And then the sky split and the angels sing and the king is born. The Christmas stories are full of this behavior. 
happens over and over and over again. An old man takes his one sin, a lifetime turn to serve in the temple. And as he goes into the place that only he is allowed to go to in this moment, there is an angel there. He never met an angel before. He would never meet one again. There was an angel there in the temple waiting to speak to him. And in a moment, everything about his life has changed. In Nazareth, a teenage girl who's looking forward to her forthcoming marriage is confronted by an angel. She never met an angel before. The angel came to tell her that something was about to happen in her life that she didn't expect and that everything would be changed. Shepherds going about their business are surrounded by an angel choir. I love the word with which verse 13 begins in the NIV translation. It says, suddenly. Suddenly there was an angel choir. And that's the thing. God works in a moment. God does something in the moment and everything changes. And you couldn't have predicted it before that moment comes along. It's a bit like that moment in the land, the witch and the wardrobe. If you know the story, I'm not, this isn't a spoiler, because if you know the story, you know this happens anyway. You get to the darkest moment of the book, the darkest moment of the film, the darkest moment of the play, where Aslan is on his stone table, and the witch appears to have triumphed, and he is dead, shorn and dead. And the children linger and wait behind but the point was this. There was something the witch didn't know. There was something that the witch wasn't aware of. A deeper magic from before the beginning of time. And Aslan comes back to life. And all of a sudden, everything has changed in that moment. And before that moment happened, all the trajectory of the story is leading to his death and to darkness and to the end of hope. And then in a moment that could not have been predicted, Everything has changed. There is something so romantic about the activities of the Lord. David, with a few small stones in a pouch, goes out to meet a giant that everybody else is petrified of, and he brings him down in a moment. Daniel, Faithful to God, enters a den of lions. Normally, human beings don't do too well in situations like that. And he comes out alive. Peter finds himself in a boat in one of the most familiar settings of the whole of his life, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And his friend Jesus is standing on the water a few yards from the boat. And he says to Peter, get out of the boat and walk to me. All these romantic things that happen in the story of God's interactions with people and how moments in people's lives change everything forever. And before that moment happened, you could never have predicted it was so. Do you think Peter ever dreamed, ever dreamed at any point in his life that he would step out of a boat and walk on water? And yet, for however short it was, for however few steps it was, he did. And right up to the point of time in which it happened, it could never have been predicted that it would be so. Because that's how God works. 
He works in the moment. It's like that Bethel song in Over My Head where the words go like this. I'm standing knee deep, but I'm out where I've never been. I feel you coming and I hear your voice on the wind. Further and further, my heart moves away from the shore. Whatever it looks like, whatever may come, I am yours. This is how God works. He works in moments that change everything. There is hope in the moment. Whatever moment your life is at right now, everything, the predictors, the experiences you have had, the advice you get from other people will tell you that there is nothing that you can do. But in a moment, God can change absolutely everything because that's how he works. I was talking to a woman, she was telling a story about how uh, one winter a few years ago, she was taking her children to school in the car and it had been icy the night before and on the way to school, she was taking a corner in the car, the car left the road, spun and left the road, went down into a ditch at the side of the road and into a field and into a, a, a water course and the water was gradually running into the car and she had two children in the car and uh, she, she was getting really afraid and she managed by some means or another to get a door open to get the kids out of the back of the car get herself out of the car, make her way up the bank onto the road. She said, stood on the road for ages and people just kept driving past. Nobody stopped. And then finally, she said, a man in a sports car stopped. And he said, what's wrong? And she explained what happened. And she said, uh, he said, well, what can I do for you? Well, she said, I need to get the kids to school. Would you mind giving us a lift to the school? And he said, no, that's absolutely fine. It's on my way. I'll take you. And so, they get into the car. I don't think the back seats of the car would have been suitable for anything other than two children if there were even seats at all in the back of the car. But he got the, he got the family to the school. And when they got to the school, she got out of the car and, and, and moved the seat forward so the two children could get out. And she turned around to see her children before they went into school. And uh, then she turned back around to thank the driver for helping her and being so kind to her. And when she turned back around, there was no car. There, there was nothing there. She said, I, I, I don't know what happened. I didn't hear it go. I, I didn't hear the sound of an engine. I didn't hear the door shutting. She said, I was standing in what I thought was the doorway of the car. I said goodbye to my children. I turned back around again. There was nothing there. She said, I, I just think God showed up for me. I, I can't provide any other explanation in a moment. And that's the hope that there is in the moment, God works in the moment. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the scripture says, we shall be changed. That's how he works. Shepherds, despised people, hear a message that you would be inclined not to believe. A message which, if it were really true, was dangerous information that could get them into serious trouble. But they went to investigate. What did they find? Hope for the hopeless. There is a savior. Whatever the condition of your heart is, it doesn't matter how you got here today. You do not need to leave the way you came because there is a savior. Hope in the moment, however difficult, challenging, awkward, impossible your life might be at this moment of time, 
God works in moments like that. He needs nothing to come beforehand to predict it. No form of preparation is necessary. That's how he works. Suddenly, an angel choir was there. 